Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Retro Review with Rob and Terry. I am Rob. And this is Terry. And we have got episode number 81 for you tonight. 81. Wow. Nine times nine. T.O. T.O., all right. Yeah, Terrell Owens, number 81. I forgot we're in the 80s now. We'll get some receivers up in here. We missed our, I don't know what we were thinking, Terry. Last week we missed the greatest wide receiver of all time. Jerry Rice? Jerry Rice was 80. Nah, sorry, Jerry. Sorry, yeah, we apologize, Mr. Rice. And uh, But yeah, 81. So, cooking right along, Terry. We only got two more episodes until we're into the Terry year. Yes, we do. And uh, tonight, it's going to get spooky. Because <laughs> we are taking a vacation to Elm Street, USA. One, two, Terry. Freddy's coming for you. <laughs> Three, four. Better lock your door. <laughs> I used to harass my sister with this little sing-song thing. The little nursery rhyme all the time. She'd freak out. and To me, that was... You know, that was money. <laughs> so I'll, drop, I'll, I'll drop drop a fun fact on you right now about it before we even get into it. That uh, okay. the Nancy, was that her name? Yeah. And, uh, her boyfriend in real life was the one who came up with that jingle. He just kind of made it up. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's how it's been reported, at least. So he got credited right. with that. Well, and he gets more credit than her acting, but we'll talk about that later. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot to say. Yeah, I got a lot to say, too. Watching this again, it had been a long time since I'd sat down and watched it start to finish. And let's just say the world's changed a little bit. Movie making has changed quite a bit. And uh, so yes, <laughs> we'll talk in depth about Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, still a fun watch. Yeah. But it's got some issues. <laughs> uh, but yeah, 81, Terry. 81 now. All right. Let's check out some celebrities who are also 81 years old. The one and only, the OG, the gangster, more street cred than Snoop himself. We're talking about Martha Stewart. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Martha Stewart is 81, along with Bernie Sanders, Bob Dylan, Bernie Sanders and Bob Dylan are the same age. Yeah, that's weird. Doesn't that seem just a little weird? Bernie Sanders still in politics. Yeah, Neil Diamond is 81 years old. Wow. That seems a little odd. Uh, Robert Kraft, who just got married. (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) And Margaret is 81. And here's one, Terry, that made me laugh. Because this hasn't happened to me yet since we've been doing these celebrity birthdays and stuff. Paul Simon is 81. Okay. Now, what makes that so funny is last week we're talking about Paul Simon being 80. (laughs) He's had a birthday between last episode and this episode, so he's jumped to the 81 bracket now. He's our first ever that I can remember uh, (laughs) two-time when we've got him in both years. So Happy birthday, Paul. Yeah, happy birthday. Uh, The Reverend... Jesse Jackson All right. is uh, 81 years old. And a man who will go down in history as one of the most notorious doctors of all time. Love him or hate him. Kevorkian. Believe him. No. 
Believe yeah. him or not believe him, respect him or not respect him, Dr. Anthony Fauci oh, is 81 years old. Okay. <laughs> uh, I am not a Fauci fan. <laughs> not many people are. No. Uh, so he's had his moment in the sun, and you know, for what it's worth or what it's not worth, I hope we don't see him again. Chubby Checker is 81 years old. I didn't know that dude was still alive. Me neither. Pete Rose is 81. Really? Yeah. He was just playing baseball in the 80s. Yep. And he's 81 uh, now. Yep. I know. This, it's crazy how it adds up. Faye Dunaway is 81. Uh, this, I cannot believe. But it is true. Nick Nolte is 81. Yeah, that that one is a little wild. I, I would have thought he was like mid mid seventies or something like that. 81. Yeah, I would have never would have never thought that he was eighty one years old. David Crosby is eighty one. Uh, Stacy Keach is yep. eighty one. Yeah. Joe Gibbs, former coach of the Washington Redskins, is eighty one years old. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. That Nick Nolte one threw me because I would have never in a million years put him at that old. Yeah, usually you hear announcements of, oh, a celebrity just hit this milestone or something, and I never saw anything for him. I think after that DUI picture, he kind of fell off the, the planet a little bit. That's one of the greatest mug shots of all time. He came back and did Warrior, though, and crushed it. That's true. Yep, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that mug shot. Imagine having that being a part of your, your life history forever. Yeah, just like David Hasselhoff in that bathroom floor with a cheeseburger. Yes. <laughs> or the, method, the the way he talked to his daughter. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Bald Brittany. Alec Baldwin's voicemail to his daughter. Just things that live on forever now. Is that it was Alec Baldwin, not... Uh, not no, it was Alec Baldwin that did that. That's right. Okay, well, let's check out some youngins now. This uh, it was interesting. Is this this gap is widening every single week? Between, I know. It's it's uh it's interesting. Yeah, forty one year olds. That's like the prime spot because all these people have had a chance to get famous yep. and live and still be notor uh, notorious right now. So yep. and you're gonna see that because there's some pretty big names here, pretty well known people that were born in 1981, including Beyonce, Queen B. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've said my piece about Beyonce, haven't I? You have, and I agree. Okay. All right, Chris Evans, Captain America is 41. Gosh. Britney Spears, you just mentioned her. Actually, you know what? Hold on. She'll be 41, I'm sorry, in December. This is a, this one jumps the gun a little bit. Unbelievable. Yeah. Justin Timberlake, Meghan Markle, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, Paris Hitton, Hilton, Pitbull, Alicia Keys, Natalie Portman, Jessica Alba, Serena Williams is 41. Anakin Skywalker himself, Hayden Christensen, is 41 years old. Rami Malek is 41. Kelly Rowland, Ray J is 41 years old. Yep. Ray J, of course, being the reason that we have, one of the reasons we have the card. Do you think the Kardashians cut him a chuck? A check every year. Do you think know. he's with uh, as much money as they're worth? Shouldn't they owe him like five to ten million dollars a year? You would think. <laughs> uh, just their combined net worth. They just they just all added up and send him a check for ten mil every year. 
That's Without so Ray weird. J, we don't have this Kardashian empire. Kendall doesn't have her billion dollars, and none of the other ones have their nothing millions, hundreds of millions. Just That's think, weird. Two, the two men most responsible for the Kardashians being the uh, the thing they are is OJ and Ray J. <laughs> that is nuts to think about. <laughs> if it's not for OJ, you know Robert Kardashian is just another lawyer from from uh, California, exactly. And uh, and without Ray J, Kim's just another you know little rich girl running around L.A. Gosh, crazy to think that. What yeah. if? What could have been? A much better Ev- life. <laughs> Ivanka Trump is uh, 41, along with Jennifer Hudson. Uh, let's see, there's a couple here I wanted to, that, that I knew. The rest, I'm starting to get into these celebrities now, Terry, where I don't know who they are. <laughs> uh, Elijah Wood is, 80, is four, 81. He's 41 years old. Was yeah. born in 81. Uh, Amy Schumer, born in 81. I'm loving it. I'm younger than all these people. Yeah. And then Finn Balor was born in 81. Wow. Still getting yeah. it done. Absolutely. Uh, all right. That's all. That's our celebrity corner, Terry. Mm-hmm. Are you starting to get excited? You know, in two more episodes, we're finding all the people to share your birth year. Dude, I can barely contain myself. You look like you're just busting at the seams. I am. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead and get into some business now. We're going to take on Nightmare on Elm Street in a little bit, but we got to get through some rants and raves. Terry, do you have any rants this week? Yeah. Fantasy football keeps letting me down. And 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 my the league we're in, it's not terrible, but it's not been great. My other league's still just a complete disaster. Won one game. Oh, uh, no. But our league, I just want to send another shout-out to Zach Martin, who would be 0-6. Zach, I, you would be 0-6 if you played me every single week. Just so you know. Just a reminder. <laughs> congratulations on the loss this week. I uh, would be 6-0 and if I played Zach every week. But I don't get to play Zach every week, so I'm sitting at 3-3. Three and three. Three and three. That's tough. But Rob, who's all by his lonesome at the top now at five That's and right. He, That's my rave. Your Number team one. is just continuing to go on. Geno Smith is like top five quarterback right now. Yeah, I got him off the waiver wire. Which is nuts. Yeah. And it was uh I didn't even think it. I was like, I'm a you know I was just gonna snag him to see if anything would happen. I thought he'd be a good backup, because uh, I had Zach Wilson on IR as my backup and so I was like, Well, I need somebody once these bye weeks come. So I snagged him and huh, man, it turns out it's been a good pickup. It, it it shows what a good offensive line combined with a good offensive co- coordinator can produce. You could plug in almost any quarterback into that and ha- be successful and he's doing great with it. So Geno Smith was a decent quarterback, but he's been on bad teams. Right. Very bad teams. And now he's really having a chance to have this late resurgence in his career, and it's just exciting to see. It That's is. what I love about sports. It is cool. I just hope he slows down a little because we don't need you scoring all these points. <laughs> Man, I've got some good guys on my team. Although I did have to make a, uh, uh, I'm, I'm making a weird play this week, and I was talking to Zach just the other day, and I was telling him I do. I said my exact words were, "Well, you don't score any points, so I'm going to try this against you because I'm up against Zach this week." Nice. 
And uh, so, because I had uh, J.K. Dobbins from Baltimore, who has like the last two weeks has been less than five fantasy points. Yeah. And so I went and got hit the other running back, but I've got my one of my starting running backs on a bye this week. So I'm actually running the whole Baltimore backfield at the same time. I'm doing Dobbins and Kenyon wow. Drake. So I'm going to run them both out and see what happens. That's ballsy. But, hey, yep. it can happen. Anything can happen. Look, look at the top five receivers in the league right now. You got uh, Tyreek Hill and uh, Jalen Waddle are both uh, one and five in most receiving yards this year, and they're on the same team. Right. That shouldn't be possible, but it is. So I'm going to go ahead and see what happens because, like, last week, Kenyon Drake, he was, on the, he was, on, he was a free agent in our league. And he got 20-plus points last week. So uh, I'm just going to run them both out because I don't know who's going to get the carries. You could always change your mind the last second if you wanted to. It's true. But you don't have anybody to put in right now. My bench is a little thin. Well, never mind. You could, you got, that's a flex spot. Yeah, you're all right. Yeah, I can I can bounce somebody up in there. I'm waiting to see if – this sounds strange, but there's, there's a dark side of me that's hoping that both New Orleans starting quarterbacks go down or both New Orleans, the starter and the backup go down. Because then I'm gonna be able to put Taysom Hill in at the flex spot as a QB. That would be pretty sweet. Ah, uh, yeah, it'd be pretty slick. Man, that'd be nasty. All right. Yeah, I got Alex this week, uh, and he has got. Let's see here. He's got Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Dallas Goder all on by this week. So I drew Alex at the right time. Ooh, yeah. So hopefully it plays out for me. Sorry, Al, but yeah, I needed that for this week. Uh, yeah, he has the Eagles defense on by, but he's got the Dolphins defense starting, so he'll be all right. But two is back, so that could hurt. And, yeah. But yeah, I, I I like my chances this week. I I got the only person I got on by is Allen Robinson, AJ Brown. So I, right. I still got Lamar Jackson going, who hasn't done much the last three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see what happens, though. Well, uh, my rant, one of my rant is just the Bears, man. What a way to lose a game. They're stupid. Primetime football. It was just, I cannot believe the mistakes that were made in that game. And It's crime time football on Thursday night because you're being no, robbed of your time. Yeah, it's it was it was disgusting. We should, obviously, the Bears, are their offense is a train wreck right now. I don't get it. And it's it. not just a bad offensive system because they've the the coaching and the play calling puts them in position to succeed and they just keep tripping over themselves. Like a wide receiver that just can't get out of bounds. You know, that sort of thing. You got a guy who muffs another punt. You've got Justin Fields bouncing a ball off of a lineman's helmet and the goal line and overthrowing a wide open Target in the end zone. Gosh. And then he throws the ball three inches shorter than it needed to be thrown. And uh, and they come up just that shy of winning it at the end. And so. I thought they they were going to pull it off somehow. But, yeah, they just look like trash there at the end of the game. And I like I said, it's not all on Justin Fields. But there's some of it's on him. You mean quarterbacks expect to be the team leader, so, I mean, they are going to get the brunt of it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, you can't put it all on him. That's so. a, they're, they're losing it in, uh, as a team here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They are doing it as a team. Yes. <laughs> so, I uh, man, it's just it's hard right now. Um, I've seen the Bears through thick and thin, and there were years, like I remember 
you know, the four and twelve season and and all these other years where they're just but this year for some reason, man, it just seems like we may have last we may have won our last game already. Mm. And that's just I know it's rebuilding. I know we're gonna have a hundred million dollars in cap space next year and a high draft pick likely. But uh football is such a short season. You only get seventeen regular season games a year. And so it's just, you know, it's amplified. You know, baseball, you've got, what, 162 games a year? Mm-hmm. And basketball, you've got 82 games a year. And so, you know, there's lots of different opportunities. And if you miss a season, well, you're going to have bright spots. You're going to accidentally win in the NBA sometimes. Yeah, But with football, sure. it's just a different – it's a just a whole different vibe. And it's frustrating. And what's else also frustrating is this week the Bears are going to have another prime time game on Monday, Monday Night, night yeah. Football. New England, right? New England. And this will be the game where Belichick has the chance to pass George Hallis on the all-time wins list to move him into uh, second place, I believe. Yeah, that's why I'm rolling yeah. with the Patriots defense this week. That's a good bet. <laughs> that's a good bet. Whoever's playing the Bears, that's a good bet. Did you? Sorry, did you have any other rants this week, Terry? Because I have another one. No, I'm. I'm. That's it. All right. Well, uh, my rant, and I don't know if I've said this one before, and we're getting to a point where I probably should start keeping track of these, so I don't repeat myself. But the other day, I was on my way to work. I had to stop and get gas on my way to work because I was in a hurry. And I don't. I had cash. I wasn't using my card, so I was just going to go in and pay. Nope. That's not how it works. Because somebody has decided at, you know, 6.45 in the morning that that's the time to cash in all their scratchers and buy some new ones. Wow. How many? Roughly. Uh, It looked like they had bought, I couldn't tell the dollar amount because I wasn't paying attention to which ones they got, but they got like five or six different ones. Okay. I was like, oh, and they're like, let me get one of... One of those, and uh, uh, and I'm just in my head. I murdered him like four times <laughs> in four different ways. Yeah, if you don't know what you want when you're going in there, just you got to be considerate of the people behind you. It's it's also the people for me when there's the single ATM machine and there's not multiple to choose from, and you roll up to it and they decide to do all of their banking in that moment. <laughs> Where they're putting in checks and taking money out and putting in other checks and checking balances and it's like, what are you doing? I I just want to get twenty bucks out. What are you doing here? So yeah, I I, I get that frustration, man, behind somebody that's just like, hmm, let me see. Uh, yeah, it's dumb. And it, lottery anyway just annoys me because it's just it takes so long. Because you gotta, it takes longer for the clerk to ring it up, and just uh, when they cash them in, they got a scam. I'm just like, uh, I just want to. I wish them to lose every time somebody buys a lottery ticket in front of me. I like, I like, you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose, you're gonna. I'm trying to will it to happen. You're gonna lose, you're gonna lose. Now, if they were quick about it, you probably wouldn't have a problem. You'd be like, yeah, give me that one, that one, that one, that one. Let's go. Yeah, probably wouldn't be as big a deal, but it still annoys me because, for one thing, you're getting scammed. The house always wins. All right, well, let's move on to some raves then, Terry, since I got my grumpy old man, uh, you know, 
thoughts out there in the world. Let's talk to some Rays. I'm going to bring it back up again. I am number one. Yeah. Number one in the league. And I'm reveling in it a little bit just because it's not a, it's not really fluky. Because I do have the third highest points scored in the league, too. So it's not like I'm, you know. Zach. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, it's not like I'm getting it cheap. Uh, and it's starting to look like that week one was the aberration. Yeah. And, uh, I've, I've, and the rest of this, is, which is going to be fun. I came up short last year, lost in the championship game to Steven Taggin, so I'm looking to to make a return trip to the big game. Yeah, maybe take home a little bit more prize money this year. Yeah, that could be a uh, very good possibility. I would say you got Garrett right behind you, who just happened to have an off week this week, and right, yeah, because he's got more points than everybody right now. So right, and Alex right behind you, who's got Tua back, but Josh Allen come back next week, so he'll be. Uh, real tough to beat, but and I'm coming back. So I mean, I have the third most or fourth most points. You have the third most. I have the fourth most points. I'm not far behind you, right. but I'm I'm sitting down in sixth place. So, and that's the thing too. That's is all you gotta do is get in that stay in that top six. That's all I care about. Yeah, because you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. Somebody you know, stars go down. Uh, teams start to you know kind of phone it in for the rest of the season if they know they're done, that sort of thing. You never know what's going to happen. Injuries mount up. It's a 17-week season now, so even more so injuries tend to pile up a little bit. So anything, as long as you're in that six, you've got a shot at it. Yeah. Me and the wife are tied at sixth place, both three and three. <clears throat> so, and then I'm going to keep it in football. Most of my race since we're on that note, and then we'll switch back over to you. Did you watch any of that, any college football this weekend? The uh, I I've only looked at some of the highlights. The Tennessee Alabama game. That's what I was. I watched that game. That was an incredible college football game. That's what everybody's told me. And I mean, oh, being an Alabama man. fan, so. And I am an Alabama fan. And even I, after that, I'm like, there's no way that, that, that we're losing this. They came back from 21 to three. I'm like, that's how we do. That's how we do. And then for Tennessee to come back and win it like that, I was like, oh my gosh, and. And, I'm, and once I'm starting to process the fact, I'm like, wow, they just lost to Tennessee. And I, I was, and my first thought was, I hope those defensive players have very thick skin. Because I have a feeling that, that Nick Saban is going to be taking bites out of every single one of them this I, week. I'm sure he is. But even dealing with a loss, I was overcome by the absolute joy and exuberance of the Tennessee football fans as they storm the field, and it's just a sea of orange, and the goalposts come down, and and I saw video later on too where they show like from like miles away where you look in the camera, look at the stadium, and you can hear the roar from that far away, and it's just intense. And I'm like, that's everything I love about sports. Yeah, Tennessee fans are built different for sure. It reminded me of the uh, 2007 uh, Fiesta Bowl with Boise State and Oklahoma. (laughs) That game, yeah. yeah. So Boise State's up 28-7, and they shouldn't be there in the first place (laughs) at that point in their uh, time in football. Oklahoma comes all the way back and takes the lead, 35-28, and then Boise State stayed persistent and got some trick plays to play out in their uh, 
on their side there. And, man, yeah, when they won that game, that place came unglued. And it wasn't even their home stadium. Right. Man, that was I, – I do remember that. I do remember that because you always like those teams like that. Well, with Tennessee, too, what made me laugh, too, is that after they tore down the goalposts and threw them into – the Tennessee River, which I think is just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they just threw them in the river. They had the, the, the school put up a GoFundMe uh, <laughs> to replace them, saying, hey, you know, remember when we when we tore down the, the goalposts after beating Alabama? That was awesome. Well, turns out uh, we can't play a game next week without goalposts. <laughs> so they were raising money. I'm sure and, that uh, money got raised quick. Oh, I'm sure it did too. And the schools got it, and the donors and everything else. They, they don't care. <laughs> no, uh, they did get fined too. The University of Tennessee got fined a hundred thousand dollars by the NCAA. Yeah, we beat Alabama. Here's your hundred k. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure they didn't didn't care at all. Uh, I read something interesting today. It was a ten or uh, all the teams that have ever uh, played four top twenty five teams. In the first six weeks of the season, and one, and then also undefeated, and also scored at least thirty points in the game. And they said all the teams that have ever done that, and it listed them. It said Tennessee, two thousand twenty-two. That's it. That's the only one. <laughs> oh, really? So no other teams ever beat four top twenty-fives, been six and zero, and scored thirty points in every game at least. And yet they're still only ranked third. We just beat Alabama, guys. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, Georgia. Georgia uh, has been putting a hurting on people. Yeah. but That'd be a game. It's interesting to see because uh, this was a very un-Saban-like performance for Alabama. Yeah. And <laughs> I remember thinking, uh, uh, well, I, we were, no, I can't even think of it now. But, yeah, there was, I was watching a lot, seeing a lot of the memes about what's going to happen to the defensive backs. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I remember what it was. It was some guy talking about. I'm not going to watch the Jeffrey Dahmer show because if I wanted to see a white guy taking bites out of black men, I'll just go listen in on uh, Saban in the cornerbacks room during film review. <laughs> Jeez, that's that's dark. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, that made me laugh. College football. Uh, another thing I was, I was going to mention is I saw the documentary is going to be coming out about the Miami, no Florida. Florida University when they with the uh, team with the head Tim Tebow, Aaron Hernandez, and uh-huh. all those other guys. It's supposed to be a documentary coming out about all that. So, I'm really kind of interested to see that. Yeah, that was one of the better college football teams in history. Yeah, and a lot of crimes that came out of that that, yeah. that class as well. And then Tim Tebow. They're at both ends of the spectrum. Man. You got a guy who's did a double homicide, and then you got Tim Tebow on the other end. Yeah, Tim Tebow's out there praying. He's not like thanking God that he got touched. He's like, God, please don't let my guys get in any more trouble. <laughs> <laughs> please don't ever leave me alone with Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> I'm begging you. <laughs> what a oh man, that's just. That reminds me that that guy, Aaron Hernandez, the brightest of bright futures. Yeah. On his way to multiple millions of dollars, Super Bowl championships. He's a good looking guy, you know, and this is all thrown away. And then uh the sad part too is I don't know how much you followed when he died, but he committed suicide. Yep. And I believe that there, there's some people believe that he did it because there was a loophole in the law. That would allow his estate 
to be transferred to his kids because of some legal loophole that because he died in custody or whatever, died um, in an appeal yeah. process, that his family would be able to keep on. And then the governor of that state changed the law and made it retroactive to where his estate was was up for civil suit. So Wow. Yeah, so it's just a deeply sad story. Yeah. That guy could have just hung out with Tim Tebow a little more. Right. Maybe his life would have been different. Right. And also, keeping it on football, one more. Did you get a chance to watch a Kansas City-Buffalo game? I didn't watch it, but I uh, I followed it. I was at a birthday party. Okay, yeah, it was it was a good game too. I mean, yeah. that's you're seeing Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes go head to head against each other. I could watch that eight times a year. Dude, I did catch the beginning of that game, and yeah, uh, no, wait, that was a different game. That was never mind. That was the Chiefs Raiders game that I watched the week before, which was another great game. Yeah. So a lot of good football this last weekend. None of it played by the Bears. No. And still the only undefeated team, the Eagles, who I predicted yeah. week one is going the distance, and currently they're showing us why. That may turn out to be a uh, a very, very nice prediction for you. Yeah, and the, but they aren't beating the Chiefs. They're not beating the uh, Bills. I just don't see it. I think they're good, but I don't think they're Chiefs and Eagles good. Or Chiefs and Bills good. Yeah, those two got to cancel each other out, man. So I think we're going to see a rematch of that game, hopefully in the AFC Championship game. Yep. Uh, and that'll be some more good football. So, Terry, what other raids did you have this week? I sent you a text message, uh, and it was a video, a drone video of a Halloween light display. I don't know if you ever watched it or not. I did see it. Yes, I did. Did you watch I the video? That. Yep, I don't think I watched all of it. I don't think I got to all of it. I was because I was at work. Okay, it's definitely something that the kids would love. Um, but it is a Halloween light dis- light display, like people do with these Christmas lights. Well, this guy did it with his house, but did it for Halloween, and he had it had to be like five hundred drones that were all programmed to work together that went yes. up in the sky and start off with Master of Puppets, the entire song. And it was showing different characters from Stranger Things. The drones were moving in to form a demigorgon, you know, and it went formed to make a big grandfather clock and all these different Stranger Things uh, references. And it was just amazing. So cool. And then you had this one little drone flying around with its camera during the show, showing everything, which made it even cooler. And then after that one was over, it plays the Ghostbusters theme. And so you got the Stay Puft Marshmallow showing up in the drones. Then you got Slimer being sucked into one of the traps with just the drone light display. I don't get how they can make those drones work together so well. I mean, you got to factor in wind and everything and the different elevation. I mean, that it's amazing that he, he has them programmed to work together so well. Those things are pretty cool. I saw... Uh, a similar thing, and I did. I got through the Master Puppets part, but I didn't. St- I had to. I don't remember why I had to turn off, but Work. I had to get to the Ghost Posters thing. But uh, I've seen those on uh, in Japan, overseas. These massive drone displays. It's incredible what they can do. I, I just couldn't believe it. It was it was so so cool, and it just after watching God, all the so strange things, I I thought it was even cooler because I kind of felt what was going on there. Right. 
No, that's uh, yeah, that's it's incredible. I wonder how much those cost for for him to do that. Well, he's got to be like the creator all... or something like that, or work for the company, or be somebody that yeah. has access to all these. You would think because that's that was a lot of drones in that video. It might just be the company supplying all of them for this, you know, just for advertisement. Yeah, I don't know, but it's cool. All right. Well, any other rants, Terry? Or, I'm sorry, Raves. Nah, I'm good. Well, let's move into our Todd Beamer Hero of the Week. Terry, what do you got for us? I'm sure you heard about this one, and I just thought it was really cool. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, Kendall Cummings could feel the grizzly bear's jaws tearing through flesh down to his skull, but the adrenaline coursing through his body made it a painless sensation. Quote, I could hear when his teeth would hit my skull. I could feel when he'd bite down on my bones and they'd kind of crunch, Cummings told Cowboy State Daily on Monday morning. Cummings and his wrestling teammate at Northwest College in Powell, Wyoming, I believe, uh, Brady Lowry, were attacked by a grizzly bear Saturday afternoon outside of Cody. The two survived but suffered serious injuries from the angry Bruin. The bear first attacked Lowry, but Cummings, an Evanston native, jumped into action to pull him off. I grabbed and yanked him hard by the ear, he said. Uh, Cummings successfully got the bear's attention, backing up as the predator reared toward a, up toward him. He described the sensation of the bear's putrid breath filling his not- nostrils and himself a sense of dread. The bear charged at Cummings with surprising speed, immediately knocking him to the ground. After a short while in the grip of jaws, the bear left him. Cummings' thoughts were not of his own injuries, but rather that the bear would attack Lowry again. It was when he stood up to look for his teammate, the bear attacked again. He said, quote, I called out to Brady to make sure he was all right, and I think the bear heard me. It kind of circled around and got me again. Cummings said he fought back against the bear at first, but it quickly became apparent it would be a fruitless endeavor. The bear eventually stopped its attack, and Cummings lay still for a few minutes after hoping to avoid a third encounter. When it was clear the grizzly had gone, Cummings said he got up and rejoined Lowry. The bloodied men then began their long trek down the mountain, five miles away from the Bobcat Hulahan trailhead where they started their hike. Lowry, a native of Cedar City, Utah, credits Cummings with saving his life. Wow. He said, quote, I can't even express how grateful I am for him. I don't know what I'm going to do to pay him back. I just don't. I owe him everything. Both men have undergone multiple surgeries over the last couple days. Cummings received 60 staples in his head and plastic surgery to address major lacerations to his face, major lacerations to his left arm and leg that doctors had to suture up, and stitches on his right hand and right leg. Lowry suffered, s- suffered a broken arm and lacerations to his back, shoulders, right leg, and thigh. Lowry was scheduled to be released from the hospital Monday, while Cummings expected to be released later this week. Uh, veteran hunters and wrestlers, the grapplers said the experience was incomparable to anything they've ever gone through. Uh, Lowry said, I'm, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. Jeez. So, Buddy jumped into action to try to pull a bear off of his friend. Oh, my uh, gosh. A freaking grizzly bear off his friend. And wow. And survive to tell the tale. My list of friends I would do that for is distressingly small. 
Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, that it's that's nuts, man. And then they and they got up and made it five miles back down the mountain or wherever they were. Five wow. miles. And they've had to have multiple surgeries since then. Jeez. And yeah. Insane. That's uh <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. So Mr. Cummings, you are our hero of the week. No kidding. That's amazing. Indeed. I don't really know what to make of that. How do I follow that? I could give you a record. Well, let's do that. Let's let's let Guinness follow that up because, man, that's a tough story to follow. Yeah. Some people are just tough, man. Some people are just tough. Yeah, wrestlers are really tough, man. And they, a lot of people say they're even tougher than football players. So, this. They got stamina, they're thick skin, and yeah, and then they these guys just going in there after a bear, man. That's that's not And then a five mile hike afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's carrying the other one. They're just both just helping each other down that whole thing. Just hoping no other pairs show up to smell you know, to smell blood. Right. Or a mountain lion or anything. Gosh, nuts. All right. So this week's Guinness record alert. David Rush from Ohio, Idaho is at it again. Oh, for crying out loud, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this time he held 150 lit candles in his mouth for 30 seconds to break another Guinness World Record. 130 lit 50. candles. 150. 150. Yes. He said. He I'm assuming pre- they're those skinny birthday candles, right? Yeah. Yeah. He said he previously attempted the same record in December but failed when some of the candles fell out of his mouth. He was quoted as saying, The weight of all the candles was intense and I had over 10 minutes of salivating making the candles slippery in my mouth. Only five seconds in, I could feel them slipping out so I had to clamp down even harder and bite in with my teeth to keep them from falling out. Rush said he wore eye protection during the attempt but he still had to struggle with smoke inhalation and the candles becoming slippery from his saliva. He broke successfully broke the previous record of 105 candles. Wow. I mean, you're setting that bar pretty high now. I know, right? And it, he says 10 minutes of salivating. It's like you got to get all those candles just right and stuffed in there. And it's like, okay, that, I can imagine 10 minutes of getting yeah. it all just right in there. You can't just take 150 and ah, right. right on them. Although, could you? Uh, I don't know, man. I think I would have, uh, what? I don't think I could do it mentally. I don't think I could have my jaw stretched open like that. I would be, I would get too, uh, it would be too, too weird of a sensation. See, I wonder if you could, uh, rubber band them together so you can just go for one big giant and bite right down on it. I think uh, it'd be harder that way because you know I don't know I don't I couldn't do it. There's no way. Got unhinge your jaw. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there that is it for my record. So I think uh, we got the United States of Rob coming up next. Yes, we do. The United States of Rob is uh, again. These are my ideas for what I would change about how our country, in particular, runs and. Uh, what I would do, what I think would make it a better place. Today, we're going to do a little talk about big tech, Terry. All right. Uh, in the news, 
over the last several months, there's been this the ongoing story of Elon Musk looking to buy Twitter. Uh, he made the first bid, and shenanigans ensued afterwards, um, back and forth. Now, apparently, he is buying it, but it is still going to have to go through the court process because I think Twitter wants to make sure that there's no backing out again, I'm sure. Yeah. But it certainly seems inevitable that, that Elon Musk is going to own Twitter. This has a lot of people up in arms because they're concerned about uh, what will now be allowed on Twitter. And that's where my problem lies. Uh, Big tech has become very much uh, amenable to censorship of opinions. Now, let me make a couple caveats. My my, my United States of Rob statement is that big tech will not have the right to censor speech in the way that selectively like it does. Now, there are caveats. I understand that they're a private business. Let's get this out of the the way up front. Yes, they are private companies. Yes, these are these are not government. um, You know, they're not government agencies. So some would say that you know a strict interpretation of the First Amendment doesn't apply to them. I disagree, and that's here's why. We have several other privately held institutions that are required to abide by American ideals of, for example, non-discrimination. So you can't be discriminated. You can't be told you can't fly from Chicago to L.A. because you voted Republican last election. You can't be told that you're not allowed to buy gasoline at the gas station because you don't believe that men can give birth. Um, you know, there's just all these different things which are non-discrimination involved and to protect the free flow of ideas and the freedom of speech, which is so paramount and so uh, institutional, it's so instrumental in the foundation of this country that this notion that big tech, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of them, can simply randomly censor people because they don't like what they're saying is antithetical to everything that America stands for. And they should be held by the standard that is laid out in the Constitution that protects free speech. I don't think that anybody anywhere who's being even the least bit honest would say that it is a fair uh, distribution of these shadow bans deplatforming it almost always seems to go to the uh voices who are opposed to certain current current cultural trends for example in the early days of the pandemic twitter was banning people for suggesting that the covid19 virus originated in china that it was a a originated in a lab in china that it was a manufacturer. And then evidence comes out later on. It turns out they were right. Yeah. That, that's exactly what happened. There were people who were being deplatformed and, um, you know, losing, you know, being suspended from or completely kicked off of platforms for questioning whether or not the vaccines were efficient because it was labeled misinformation. They were worried that the, saying that the vaccines didn't prevent the spread of COVID could get you kicked off Twitter. Now we know that it has been admitted, and I personally think they knew all along, that the vaccines do not stop you from transmitting COVID-19. 
And so what big tech has done is they've chosen these ideological standpoints, and now they are um, enforcing them selectively. So, for example, do you know who Dr. Jordan Peterson is? Mm-hmm. He was removed from Twitter for simply stating that uh, gender is a biological issue, basically saying that men cannot get pregnant, pregnant men cannot become women, um, which is a scientifically true statement mm-hmm. and certainly is a hot-button issue in some corners of the Internet. Well, he was removed from Twitter for that statement. For simply stating that men are men and women are women. Yeah. I believe that this undermines the uh, uh, the marketplace of ideas that is essential towards the continued growth of our country. Okay. And to circle back around to, I think I lost my, my spot where I was talking about, but to say that they can't be required to adhere to first amendment principles is untrue. They can be required to because they do receive tax subsidies at times. They, they do have, they fall under the FCC. Now they've been labeled and uh, categorized, not as publishers of content, but simply as moderators of content. Yeah. And their own internal rules should not be able, because this is, we're in a different age, Terry, you know, this is the digital age. Yep. So these are important functioning parts of our democracy. Yes, they are privately held institutions, but newspapers were privately held institutions too, and they were required to adhere to certain amounts of uh, keeping in the spirit of what we value as Americans. Mm-hmm. Big tech has become such a... Uh, it just seems that lots of it veers so hard left in so many different ways that even people on the left notice it. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're not fighting against it because it's not harming them. But when you have somebody like Jordan Peterson, who's a world renowned philosopher, clinical psychologist, and he gets kicked off Twitter for saying that men can't have babies. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm misquoting. I don't remember what his exact quote was. I know. But it was saying. to that effect. I remember it. Is that men can't have babies, which is a reasonable statement. A statement that was never would have been questioned up until 10 years ago, even. Yeah. And I think that's too much power over public discourse and the public and the expression of ideas. There has to be a check against that. And I believe that in the United States of Rob, you will not have the right to simply partisan uh censor the people who are using your platform. Yeah. Now, here's where the, the it gets a little grayer, and that's in the subject of something like bullying. I can understand why there's a need for, for moderation when it comes to bullying, but here's where they get, you give somebody an inch, they take a mile. If you have a left-wing ideology, you'll simply say that saying you believe that men can't have babies is bullying to a trans person. That's a ridiculous assertion and 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 minimizes the lasting effect of actual bullying. Here's where I would draw the line in favor of the tech companies. Direct threats of violence. Obviously you can't allow that. Yeah. And you can't allow that in regular speech. I can't go out I can't 
tore your house, Terry, and threatened to kill you and then claim, well, it was my First Amendment right to say that. That's not how this works. Yeah. That goes without saying. But where you're going to have to be really careful with these situations is, and here's where obviously this is closer to, to my world, is that at what point do you then lose the right to say, to express a religious conviction if it does not agree with a cultural phenomenon? You got a lot of things going on there, and there is so many different people and different ideas out there. It would be, I I wouldn't want to be a Twitter moderator. I'd lose my mind because there's so many people out there with different ideas. You got uh, people that are extremely racist and have a lot of quote facts to back up their racism, and they'll say, "Why am I being kicked off of here? I'm just stating facts." and stuff like that and then you got like you said the bullying well it's not technically bullying i'm kind it's just they'll they'll have lots of workarounds and people talk around it until they have to start shutting everybody down or let everybody just go nuts it's hard to find that happy medium where everybody can be like that because we've said it a million times on here I, you're not going to agree with everything I say, and I'm not going to agree with everything you say, and that goes for every person on the planet. So right. I don't know. It, I think too, and at the heart of it too, is the reason they're in this position is because the American people have forgotten that just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. And this whole words are violence nonsense that people are spreading right now that's become a part of the lexicon of our discourse is just garbage saying words are violence you know it's just it's so and watch uh do you know who matt walsh is no he is a conservative commentator he's with the daily wire he has a podcast he's the one who uh produced and put together the documentary what is a woman okay have you heard of that no okay <laughs> all right anyway he goes around and asks that question to so many different people it's a it's an expose on uh, the you've told me about him before, yeah, about the gender theory or whatever. What is it? Uh, gender, you know, I can't remember the way he phrases it, but uh, and so he has been going around and screening this this documentary at college campuses around the country. He just started a, a uh, and the 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 students at these college campuses they come out and act like his very presence there is an act of violence against them makes me weep for the future of our country yeah because somebody who thinks that somebody who harbors a different opinion in them in is is equated to actual violence yeah it's gonna fold like a you know i don't <laughs> Like a straw, like a plastic straw. And anytime somebody actually confronts, confronts them with violence, if we ever have armed conflict on our soil, we're screwed because these snowflakes run around. Think that if you don't agree with them, it's like you assaulted them. Yeah, I agree. And so that feeds into this whole, you know, that's and and the people that are working at Twitter are not fifty year old, you know people who've lived life who've had some experience they're fresh out of college they're coming straight out of this environment where you got to have a safe space and you've got to have trigger warnings and you've got to have you know support dogs if somebody if, if there's a public speaker who comes onto your campus who has a different opinion in the, than you 
It's pathetic. Yeah. Everybody's getting built different these days. Yeah, it's it's disgusting actually. And uh I like to see how so, how liberal they'll be if they accidentally ended up in Russia or uh right. China, you know, where you can't you can't uh say whatever you want. You can't do whatever you want. And they have a lot more freedoms here than anywhere else in the world. Ask Brittany Griner what she thinks of uh what's real oppression. Yeah. What's real torment? What's real violence? Ask her when she comes home. Yeah, I said freedoms, but like George Carlin said, it we don't have freedoms; we have privileges. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, But yeah, so that was that's my United States of Rob this week. Is that big tech would not would no longer have the right to censor speech on ideological premises. Other than direct threats of violence or clear and well-defined, and this is where you'd have to have you know lawyers that, of course, get involved, defined bullying. Um, I don't think it's bullying for me to say that uh, men can't get pregnant. That's not me bullying somebody. That is me stating a biological fact. So, but anyway, that's where I'm at on the United States of Rob. Well, I think that was a good one you put up this week, so I agree with you. Hopefully it wasn't as boring as the uh, the congressional redistricting, redistricting one from two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's not boring, Terry? It's watching people under pressure. Yeah. That's not boring at all. And that's what I love about horror movies is watching the... Uh, the depiction of people under pressure and seeing the stupid decisions they make and how their story descends into chaos, such as is in the case in A Nightmare on Elm Street, Terry. What question up front. Okay. How long had it been since you'd seen this movie? Oh, probably just a few years. We watched it. I, I We went to Walmart and they had like a box set for 20 bucks. So it was all eight movies or nine movies, whatever it was of all the Friday the 13th and nightmare on Elm street. And we picked them up both. So I got them all on DVD back there. So, okay. It has been a long time since I've watched this one. Uh, I've seen it several times, but it's been, I would say it's probably been at least 15 years since I've watched this movie. Really? Yeah. And because uh, I was trying to think of it in time frames, I don't think I've watched it since I've been married. I've been married 14 years, and I don't think I've watched it since I've been married. Uh, it just hasn't come around, you know. I don't know why. You know, Crystal doesn't more. watch it, so Crystal doesn't like horror movies. And then you know, with Joey around when he was little, and the other kids were little. But anyway, it's been a while since I've watched this one, and my opinions on it. If you'd asked me last week what my opinions on it were, they'd be a little bit different than my opinions on it today. Yeah, it was it was a interesting rewatch again, especially when I'm trying to really criticize it and try to really take notes and follow everything a little closer. You really start to see what this movie is <laughs> a little bit more. Right. I have several final questions when we get to them. So I was hoping um, you would. Yeah, let's go through real quick and get some of the details on it. And uh, 
It was released on November 16th, 1984, which is odd to me that it comes out, you know, two and a half weeks after Halloween. Yeah, I don't get that. The new Wednesday show on Netflix is coming out in November. It's like, Halloween is <laughs> right there. All you could just release yeah. it right before. I don't get that. I don't understand that at all. It was uh, rated R, had a runtime of a very standard one hour and 31 minutes. It was made on a budget of $1.8 million, which, you know, if you fire up the inflation calculator, equates to about just, just over $5 million in today's dollars. Okay. Grossed $25.6 million in 84, and that rounds out this year to today's dollars of $73 million. So you're talking about a very nice return on investment for this movie. This movie was a hit. Yeah, absolutely, because you made, what, 15 to 20 times back what you put into it right and you know now horror movies are never going to be are rarely rarely ever going to be blockbusters um that's just not going to happen a lot but 73 million dollars in today's money that's respectable like you said on how cheap it was for sure uh the cast included uh nancy who's played by heather Langenkamp, um freddie krueger played by robert england Glenn, Nancy's boyfriend, played by none other than Johnny Depp in, I believe, his first movie role. His acting debut, yep. Yes. And did not bad compared to the others. No, yeah, he he was was fine. He was a good actor. Right. Nancy's best friend, Tina, was played by Amanda Weiss. Tina's boyfriend, Rod, was played by, and I don't know how to say this, it's J-S-U. Okay. Is his first name. Jusu. Garcia, uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Thompson, Nancy's father, played by John Saxon, Hollywood legend. Yep. And Marge Thompson, her mother, uh, played by Ronnie Blakely. All right. Uh, the synopsis, Nancy is having nightmares about a frightening, badly scarred figure who wears a glove with razor-sharp finger knives. She soon <laughs> discovers that her friends are having similar dreams. When the kids begin to die, Nancy realizes that she must stay awake to survive. Uncovering the secret identity of the dream killer and his connection with the children of Elm Street, the girl plots to draw him out into the real world. That was a good good synopsis. <laughs> Not too bad. Finger knives. Finger knives. <laughs> I, I I wanted to point out one uh, coincidence here. Isn't it weird that Johnny Depp was in this movie and then went on to do Edward Scissorhands? You know, that, that's a good point. I wouldn't have even thought about that. But, yeah, he becomes like a mirror image or a, you know, or since you like Stranger Things, it's called the Upside Down World. Yeah. He's the Upside Down World of Freddy Krueger. <laughs> God, that movie was weird. Edward Scissorhands? Yes. I still don't understand the concept of how what that was supposed to be. Yeah, Ruby asked if she could watch it. I'm like, I, I guess, but I don't remember ever liking it. <laughs> right. And I was I a didn't. kid, and I thought it was weird, and it seemed like it's something I would like. Uh, this was a cultural phenomenon. Even though it only made in, like, you know, 73 million or 25.6 million in 84, um, which is still big. That's a big for a horror movie. But this kicked off... What has it been, like 9, 10, 11 Elm Street movies? Oh, that's quite a bit. If you count, like, especially, like, Freddy versus Jason, uh, 
you know, we have Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. You had the uh, the new reboot of the Nightmare on Elm Street, which was a hot mess. Yeah, and, it wasn't uh, good. I think it was, it like, was yeah, not good at probably all. Probably ten of these all together, nine or ten. So anyway, and this was and Freddy Krueger became a pop culture icon. Uh, this was, I think, the only one of maybe like the the new nightmare. They tried to go back to be an actual horror movie. This was the the first and only installment in this series that was actually trying to be a horror movie, and the rest of them were slasher comedies. Yeah, basically, <laughs> because Freddy all of a sudden became a stand up comedian. Yeah, <laughs> it started as early as episode two, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, and he liked to use so, the b b word a lot. Yeah. That was uh, that was his that was his buzz it was buzzword for sure. Do you ever see the uh, a clip from Rick and Morty and just of where they talk about how Freddy Krueger does that and it shows Freddy in his like private life with his wife and his kid and all that and, <laughs> <laughs> and he just says the b word constantly. <laughs> I don't think I never got into Rick and Morty. Uh, well, you can just see him watching the clip is pretty funny. Okay, um, let's start with the good because there is a lot of good. I. I do remember really liking this movie back when I was younger and there are still some things that shine through even I'm watching it as an, you know, and as, as I near 50, uh, the, the Fred, the Elm street music, the theme is good, scary music. Yeah. And it's, it's classic music. It, you should recognize if you're any kind of horror fan. I personally right. thought this movie was just a really unique idea. I thought it was interesting. Yes. Yeah, you, you got a guy that's coming after you while you're sleeping in your dreams. That's a great premise. It's obviously not plausible, but it's it's a great premise for a horror movie. And, too, that was um, – you, you led right into my next part of my good – is that the nightmare elements of this movie are real because I've had nightmares – where I couldn't run upstairs. Something was chasing me. My feet would get stuck on the stairs. I've had that nightmare before. Um, the the element of dreams being where you just add one place and you walk in your some random place else. Like, you know, uh, yeah. these kids all live in the suburbs, but they take a step out their backyard and they're in a downtown street with, uh, you know, dumpsters and everything else, or or they go through a room, a door in their house, and they're in a boiler room all of a sudden. Yep. You know, this big, expansive boiler room. And uh, those are all really good use of elements that people talk about having dreamed in that way. And so I did appreciate that. That was very well done. And the way this movie can make little girls in white dresses – Playing jump rope seemed terrifying. I think was a nice trick that they pulled off. Yeah, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. What do you think that is, Terry? You think it's just because it's the innocence of of you know a young child, and then juxtaposed against what we know to be this horrific yep. uh, demon type figure that's tormenting these people, and it just reminds you. Of you know your own lost innocence is that what we're supposed to take from that? Why is that so scary? I don't know, but I mean, it feels like some of those different childhood games have had origins in such tragedy. I feel like Ring Around the Rosie is one of them. Yes, that's a good point. The it was about the plague, pocket full of posy. They would put posy in their pockets to help ward off the plague. Ashes to ashes, we all fall down because they had to burn the bodies. 
of the people because there was not enough room to bury everybody that was dying. So yeah, it's it's got very dark history, but yeah, it's uh, just a simple game, simple saying for kids, easy to remember. It's true. Yeah. Uh, another one. There were some genuinely frightening scenes in this movie. Um, the top of the list for me is when the first time Nancy sees Tina in the body bag and she's calling her name. That's a genuinely frightening scene. Yeah. She's in the hallway and the body bag is zipped up and there's you can see the blood in it. And it's genuinely scary. Even this time watching, I'm like, wow, that's that's kind of creepy looking. Yeah. And then when she's being dragged and she just flops on the floor and her feet lift up and she's dragged off screen invisibly. I was like, oh, so yeah, that's that's creepy. Yeah, that uh, the, that scene especially is like, all right, this is we're off to a good start, right? We run into some 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 bumps along the way. Yes, um, the deaths in this movie, um, the special effects aren't great, but the use of practical effects on, for example, for Tina's murder. That's a genuinely horrifying murder scene. Yeah. I mean, up to that point, have you ever seen somebody being lifted up throughout the room with nobody lifting them or pushing them? They're just all of a sudden up there and over here and over there. And it's like as if some invisible force is pushing her around. And up to that point, you really didn't see that in a movie. No. So that was really, and that was a practical effect. And obviously, you know, um, and so I, I thought that was that was very well done. Uh, Rod's death was a little anticlimactic, and yeah. you know the, the the special effects for, the, for him getting hung in that so just it didn't really okay didn't really work. Can I jump into my bad? Sure. <laughs> uh, my 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 main bad here was uh, Rod wasn't hanging long enough for him to die. First of all. Uh, <laughs> Rod wasn't even having a nightmare. He wasn't being attacked by Freddy. The sheet just magically wrapped around him and killed him. The stuff he uses to kill is supposed to be in the dreams. His way right. of killing in this sense doesn't make sense. <laughs> Are we sure he wasn't asleep? He no, he wasn't having a nightmare. He didn't he was just laying there. He wasn't like flopping around like freaking out like uh what's her face? the friend at the beginning yeah tina tina but then she's being lifted all over the room which i i liked it you see the claws going through her opening up her stomach and you're thinking okay that's happening because that's happening in her dreams is she really being lifted over here (laughs) i guess that could be in her dreams but to have something outside of the dreams moving around while the guy's just laying there that to me didn't make any sense I, i can see that for sure so yeah, I, I Rod as a character is not strong. No. <laughs> and uh and his his <laughs> I was watching it and uh I ended up watching that scene more than once because I fell asleep watching the movie and decided to start it over again. And uh I don't know what I would do in that situation, but all he did her sister and yell does is yell her name while she's he doesn't, he doesn't try to grab her nothing or nothing, nothing. the sister and yells at her. I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'd like to think that I'm, you know, more courageous than that. Maybe I wouldn't be. I don't know. Is it, He got woken up out of a dead sleep, and she's all of a sudden on the ceiling. I guess yeah. it could maybe put you into a sense of, you know, shock paralysis or whatever. But 
He makes no effort to like help at all. Grab her, shake out the her, window. or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Rod was not. <laughs> Rod, you know, he was. Uh, he was not. He's definitely not a hero. He but uh, um, Glenn, his murder is uh, this is personal. Um, one of my biggest fears is claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. So the idea of being sucked down into a small hole in your bed, compressed down like that with everything coming with you, the TV, the and that just freaked me out. <laughs> so I uh, that one was disturbing to me. The fountain of blood that came out of the bed after that, I don't know. You know, did he put him in a blender <laughs> down there? What happened? I have no idea on what happened there, but uh, let's see here. I do have something about that somewhere. Uh, yeah, fam- the famous scene in which a geyser of blood shoots out of Glenn's bed was inspired by a similar scene of blood pouring from an elevator in Stanley Kubrick's A Shining. To create this effect, the blood was created from 80 gallons of water mixed with red paint, which was then poured through a set that was built upside down. I assume that's how they did it. I didn't realize it was 80 gallons of water. Terry, you're in the medical profession. How many gallons of blood are in a human body? I got seven pints of blood in us. So, how many gallons? Is is that even a gallon? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, not that much blood. <laughs> not as much blood as went up into the ceiling in yeah. Glenn's bedroom. Gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, the conversation he has with his mom before this happens cracked me up watching it this time because this is dialogue they would never put into a movie now where he's staying up. Uh, she's like, how are you doing? Because he's got his headphones on and he's watching TV. Yeah. She's like, how can you watch TV and listen to your music at the same time? He's like, well, Miss Nude America's coming up, Mom. She's like, well, how are you going to hear what she has to say? He's like, who cares what she has to say? And it's like, oh, my gosh, that one that one didn't age well. You're not getting away with that now. Not even a little bit. Yeah, he definitely had to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that was pretty much my good. Okay. <laughs> How about you? Did we miss anything on your good? Uh, uh, the tongue coming out of the phone was hilarious. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> if it wasn't such a cheap effect, we could tell it's obviously... This like glued like, onto the phone? <laughs> right. If they could have worked a little harder. Uh, well, because I mean, look what they did with the the picture of like uh, above Nancy's bed. When she's and it's that angled wall like you get like in an yeah. upstairs bedroom, and you can see him pushing, you see Freddie pushing into it, and it snaps back to normal. That was awesome. Yeah, because that she was tur- that looks cool. She turns around and knocks on it to kind of show the audience, hey, this is actually a hard wall. <laughs> yeah, we just we just pulled this off. the The Freddie tongue phone <laughs> that was not a very expensive part of the special effects budget. No, but it was funny. <laughs> it was very funny. I'm your boyfriend now. <laughs> uh, bad. A lot of it. There's quite a bit of bad in this movie. Um, Nancy's acting is just distractingly bad. Yeah. Heather Camp. I'm sorry. I don't mean to disparage you. You're probably a fine, upstanding individual. Your family loves you. 
your you know spouse or kids if you have them they all love you but it was some of those scenes are hard to watch now um yeah. because it's so just it's just not it's just not good there's a reason why she's not getting acting roles right now right uh and I don't want to speak you know, I, I don't like the idea of, of being too hard on but it was just it, it takes you out of the story in a couple places it's so bad yeah uh one of mine is when she tells the deputy to go get her dad get my dad get him go get him Tell him to come here now. Tell him to come. And the guy just stands there just looking at the window for what seems like five <laughs> minutes. Uh, and finally says, maybe I better get the lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? what took you so long, dude? I mean, she's right. freaking out in there. Yeah. And it's uh, it, the lieutenant's daughter. Um. Yeah. It's there was There's... Questionable decision making by lots of people in this movie. Uh, one of the, the bad that I have was Nancy is no older than 17 years old. Okay. All right. At the oldest. And she picks up one little thin, looks like it's self published paperback book about booby trapping. And all of a sudden she's freaking McGu- MacGyver. Oh, she's Kevin McAllister, man. That's what I said. I wrote down Home Alone. Yeah. It was like, she Home alone Freddy Krueger, and it was less believable her doing it than a seven-year-old kid in a Chicago suburb. Yeah, he had all day to do it, and here she is just rigging it up in what seems like no time at all. Yeah. So, I was I, that, that was an eye-rolling moment. I'm like, okay, come on, okay. Yeah, you got to come you got to do better. You have to do better than that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, this movie. <laughs> I got I got some uglies, too. Um, I got a couple uglies. I think my uglies. Well, I got one major, because I figure there's a couple that we're going to talk about with that come from final questions that I'll kind of round up. I have one ugly written down, and some of my final questions are going to bring out some others. Okay. Well, let's just say, if I was being stabbed in my dream, but it affected me in real life, I would think I would wake up in pain. Like, the pain would wake me up. Just logic. <laughs> okay. If somebody were to punch you while you're sleeping, you're going to wake up. Yeah. Uh, so physics in this movie is being constantly defied in the re- in the real world, which was didn't make any sense, uh, with the blood going up and the way it just went up perfectly up to the ceiling. Uh, with right. her being carried around the room, with just the sheet moving around itself, um, and it had just the dumbest ending oh, I can imagine for a movie. That's my ugly. The logic that went into that was horrendous. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. That she, okay, now if she pretended he wasn't real. And he went and he disappeared when he was trying to attack her at the end. Okay, and scene and movie, you're good. That made sense, but then they took it a step too far. Oh, bye, mom. See you later. Getting in the car. All my friends are back now. Oh, then the top comes up and it's red and green. Ha ha ha! I got you, B. Uh, and then mom gets randomly sucked into the house through the window in the dumbest way possible. It's one of the worst 
scenes in a movie I've seen in a while. For one thing, what was had to have been what had to have been going on in the director's life, in the cinematographer's life, and the guy who was in charge of special effects of the movie to where they walked away from that scene and said, eh, good enough. Her getting dragged through the window like that, it's so bad that it's unforgivable. Yeah. All right. Here is a fun fact about that. In the original script, the movie ended happily, as I thought it should. And I do like scary endings where the protagonist doesn't come out on top. That's fine. It didn't work here. Uh, Nancy kills Kruger by ceasing to believe in him, then awakens to discover that everything happened in the movie was an elongated nightmare. She then says goodbye to her mother and drives to school with her friends. However, Robert Shea, who worked on the movie as well, wanted a twist ending that would leave the lead the way for uh, open for sequels. Right. He suggested fooling the audience into thinking Kruger has been defeated, only to reveal that the final scene itself is actually a nightmare. And they then end the film with Freddy driving the car away from the house and the kids screaming. Wes Craven hated this ending. And ultimately, four endings were filmed. Craven's happy ending, Shay's Freddy ending, and two versions of a compromise ending Craven and Shay had reached, in which Nancy's mother is pulled back into the house, but the audience is left slightly ambiguous as to what is going on. Craven has always maintained that the film should have had the happy ending he originally wrote. The ending is is a mess. It's it's just a complete mess. I'm surprised there are more movies because of the ending alone. Right. And it's just you would think that it was you know, we're, we're we're cognizant of it today because most of the the big movies they're trying to make tentpole franchises. So you're going to see obvious allusions to a sequel. Marvel sometimes is just explicit. Ant-Man will return in The Avengers, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever, that sort of thing. But in this one you're right, because one of my final questions had to do with the fact that was the whole movie just a nightmare? Is 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 has anybody woken up yet? Is are we still dreaming? What's happening? And there's was one thing to be ambiguous. It's another to completely subvert your own world building that you've just spent an hour and a half developing and then throw it all, all away, and you're left with not even good questions. Because like Total Recall, do you remember that movie? Of course. At the end, we're like, oh, my gosh, is this what he paid for when he went to the place? Is he getting exactly what he – and you're like, oh, that's a good ambiguous ending. Uh, kind of like the lady and the tiger where you don't know what happened. This is not. Because if it's all a dream, then why were they going to sleep and waking up in the dream? Why is did he disappear and seem defeated, but he's not defeated? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. He wouldn't defeat himself in a dream. That's dumb. Right. And just the special effects on mom getting sucked through the door. I can't get past it, Terry. What was going on on set? What? How much drugs did those guys have to do to look at that final cut and be like, that scene works, we're putting it in the movie? It's, it's so dumb because, I mean, he didn't even try to make it like a struggle. He just Let's just throw a mannequin in there and rip it through the door. It was pathetic. It was horrible. It's it's that bad. So rigid, going flying through the door. It's like, oh my god, what are, what are you guys doing? And here's another thing. One of my final questions that falls into ugly is: Did anyone actually die in this movie? Then that's another good question because she might still be having the nightmare. 
and just waiting right. to if wake up. If she hasn't woken up, then all these friends that she's dreaming about, they're fine. You would think. There's no stakes then. Yeah. Nobody's lost anything. No. And yeah, so it, the ending takes away from the movie completely. It's ruined. It, I it, don't remember having this much of a reaction to the ending back when I'd watched it before. I don't think I cared. I'm like, oh, they're setting up for the next sequel. And oh, it's it's Freddy. He'll be back. And I have that because I obviously did not go see this movie in the theaters, seeing as how I was 10 years old when it came out. Yeah. Almost 11. Not happening. So I saw it as an adult after there'd been like, you know, 17,000 sequels to it. And so yeah, all right, I, saw I saw it, it as a teenager. I, say, I saw it as a teenager, I'm sure. I saw it as a kid because that's just me and Alex. We just sit there and rent horror movies and watch them to death when we were like nine, ten years old, and then all the way through our teens. I mean, we'd find any horror movie and throw it on. But yeah, back then you're like, oh, this is a cool movie, and yeah, whatever. It was it was scary. But yeah, now it's just like a joke. And it's not. I mean, compared to actual scary movies, this is a slap in the face to those. And you know what? And I try to be understanding and recognize that this is '80s, and this is the style of horror movie. You have you have Nightmare on Elm Street. You've got Halloween. You've got Friday the Thirteenth. These are unkillable monsters, and your every movie sets up the next one, sort of thing. But they they so fumbled the ball on the one yard line yep. with this ending that it's almost offensive. Out of the three big ones, Halloween, Friday Thirteenth, and this movie, uh, Halloween by far is the best of the three, and on the original movie because the original Friday Thirteenth, no Jason anywhere. First of all, and he comes back in the second one, then he's the franchise after that. But Michael Myers, man, yeah, that that was a great great story. And you said you hadn't really watched it, and I I hope you do. I I like I said, I was just bringing bring it up again. I don't know that I've ever watched that movie all the way through. I think I've seen parts of it. Obviously, you've seen whatever is it's a part of culture, but I don't think I've ever sat down and watched Halloween. I think you should sometime when you get a chance because it is a solid movie. I mean, it's not it's not Rocky, but it's it's a solid movie. And right. it's for for what it was, sitting there watching the dark first time I had ever watched it, that one actually eluded me for a while because we seemed to stay on Freddy and Jason and these other cheesy B horror movies. And it wasn't until I was about fifteen or sixteen when I finally saw Halloween and I remember my mom of all people said, Terry, I want you to watch this in the dark uh, on the couch. <laughs> and I she wasn't in the room. She's like, Make sure you turn all the lights off. Uh, you, you'll get more of an effect from it, and I was glad she did because it was it was freaky. You know, I was I was still a kid, teenager, but still a kid. It freaked me out. Now I watch it; it's nothing, but it, it's still a solid movie. So it puts this one to shame. Yeah, I was disappointed. Um, my memory had deceived me on this movie. I think uh, it was like I said; I haven't watched it in a long time. And here's another final question. Did you, you know, I jumped, I jumped into final questions because they kind of played off what we were just talking about. But did you have other ugly? I know you said other, you had some uglies. No other uglies. I just had a boatload of facts. Okay. Well, uh, let's do, let's go into your facts before I get to my last two final questions because I jumped into it because we were t- started tar- They came up during the ugly there. So let's go into some fun facts about Nightmare on Elm Street, Terry. Hit us up. All right. 
So, you may have noticed in the credits at the beginning of the movie that Robert England was credited as Fred Krueger instead of Freddy Krueger, which right. I just thought was interesting. I caught that. And, well, they call him Fred in the movie, too. Yeah, but that, whenever you talk about uh, him, what do you call him? Freddy Krueger. Everybody says yeah. Freddy. It's not Fred, it's Freddy. Well, it's in, the, it's in the song that's in the movie, too. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. It, so. it does, but I just thought it was cool that they. Uh, had, yeah. it was a little different than normal. Uh, Freddie has less than seven minutes of screen time in this whole movie. Ninety minutes, and he's only got seven of them. But he really makes the most of it, doesn't he? He does. It's the Darth Vader effect. I think Darth Vader was only in thirteen minutes of Star Wars. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's surprising. Uh, this is another one I caught as I was watching the show, and it was clever if you were really uh, paying attention. The station. On the TV's call letters was KRGR Kruger. Yep. yep, I saw that too. I did catch that. Okay. Uh, Which means it is west of the Mississippi. Is that right? You know the call letters? Yes. Well, because uh, east of the Mississippi is W, west of the Mississippi is K, is the first letter of the radio call letter uh, call names. Oh, uh, we all just learned something. <laughs> And while, Which you would think west of the Mississippi would be W. You would think. But it's not. <laughs> so, anyway, go ahead. And while we're learning things here on the podcast, over 500 gallons of fake blood were used in the making of this movie. 500 gallons of fake blood. And you said that the way they made it was water and red paint. Yep. That's not how they make fake blood anymore, man. Fake blood nowadays looks real. Yeah. And I remember when we made fake blood in uh, grade school, and it was fun. We mixed, like, what was it? Like, we chocolate syrup and a lot of red food coloring or something like that. That's all <laughs> yeah. it was, and it looked like blood. It was, it was really fun. Uh, oh, here's another good one. The words Elm Street are not spoken in the entire movie. Really? Not uh, once. Uh. They just show street signs, right? I don't even remember now. I wasn't looking for it until I saw this afterwards. So, huh? That's that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Robert England cut himself the first time he tried on the infamous Freddy glove. <laughs> the finger knives. The finger knives. <laughs> and another thing I had read: it wasn't even him that was cutting the holes into the glove and putting the knives in at the beginning. There was only one person on set that knew how to do that right, apparently, and he was actually the one doing it instead of Robert England. Okay. All right, let's see here. The scene where Freddy's arms elongate were achieved by having men with fishing poles on each side of the alley operating a set of puppet arms attached to Robert England. That seems, yeah, that's understandable. I can see that. It's kind of a, a choppy effect, but I remember being creeped out by it when I saw it as a teenager. Yeah, I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, director Wes Craven asked his teenage daughter which actor he should cast as the heartthrob boyfriend, and she chose Johnny Depp. And it began. Johnny Depp. Yeah, somebody came out of this movie doing well. So kid. Speaking of the actors, uh, Heather Langenkamp beat over 200 actresses for the role of Nancy Thompson. Uh, this I don't understand. You want to hear who she beat out? <laughs> oh, this is going to blow my mind, isn't it? 
maybe not blow your mind, but just surprising. Uh, Jennifer Grey. Okay. That was before Ferris Bueller. Right, right. Uh, Demi Moore. Wow. Courtney Cox. Still no way. 10 years uh, shy of the her friend's fame. Tracy Gold from Growing Pains. Who I thought would uh, be I too young that. for that, but I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. And Claudia Wells. Claudia Wells. Why can't I not remember who Claudia Wells is? I don't know. I didn't look her up. Strange to think Jennifer Grey in this role. It's much. She's a much better actress. I think it's. I don't think a good per acting performance by Nancy saves every aspect of this movie. But we got to remember too that this movie wasn't wasn't ripped apart when it was came out. It was it was popular, and we've advanced in movie making and storytelling since then. In the almost forty years since this movie came out, I could totally see Demi Moore, a young Demi Moore, doing this movie and doing a great job. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, she's a great actress, so I mean, I'm sure she would have done a great job. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get the uh, how she beat out so many. What did she bring to the table? <laughs> I don't know, man. Or I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it's it. hard to believe that she beat out 200 other people. Let me just put it that way. Yep. And that's where we'll leave it. All right. Uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street has ins- was inspired by real-life events. <laughs> okay. Now, <laughs> inspired by has a very broad definition. Indeed, it does. Uh, Wes Craven decided to make A Nightmare on Elm Street after reading a series of Los Angeles Times articles about a group of teenage... <coughs> Excuse me. Khmer? Is that how you say it? K-H-M-E-R? Khmer? Immigrants who, after moving to the U.S. from refugee camps, died in their sleep after suffering from disturbing nightmares. There were no... When they did autopsies on them, there was nothing that showed what caused their death at all. They just, Really? And they died in their sleep, and so several of them, just out of nowhere. Well, have you ever heard the old wives' tale that if you die in your sleep, you die? No. You've never heard that. I've never. You've never heard that thrown around like you know, like if you're falling and you always wake up before you hit the ground, because if you die in your dream, then you die. It's the same kind of a, I guess, the the modern interpretation of it or representation of it. In movies would be like in the Matrix, where he talks about if you die in the Matrix, you die because the the body can't live without the mind. Yeah. I wonder if that's something that along those lines. Maybe they died in their dream, and that was it. I don't know, but it inspired him to make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Freddy Krueger is an amalgamation of Wes Craven's childhood terrors. Freddy was the name of a bully who beat Craven up in elementary school, and his signature hat was based on one worn by a neighborhood drunk who scared Craven when he was young. Huh. Where did the figure knives come? Was he afraid of Wolverine? <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, Freddy Krueger's sweater is scientifically scary. Yes. Good. Go with this. I've heard this before. Craven designed Freddy's striped sweater after reading in Scientific American that the human eye has difficulty recognizing those particular shades of red and green side by side. Therefore, looking at it is subliminally unsettling. 
Yes, I've read that before. That it was, it was engineered to be scary, which it looks like a Christmas sweater. Those are Christmas colors. Yeah, but in a weird shade that it doesn't look right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Freddy Krueger's weapon of choice was inspired by house pets and infomercials. Craven didn't want Freddy to wield a simple knife like Michael Myers in Halloween or Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, so he drew on his fear of his own cat's claws and a series of late-night commercials selling sets of knives to create Freddy's iconic knife glove. And it is pretty, you know, unique. I mean, as far as, like, horror movies go, the Freddy's glove, those knife hands. How effective do you think that really is as a weapon? You better get the get a hit in first try. That's all I got to say. And you got to be strong cuz yeah, if you ain't getting a hit right away with them, they're going to hold you down, and beat the crap out of you. Cuz you think about a glove, wearing a glove, and you've got all that stuff strapped onto it. It's a stabbing motion with that kind of force. What's the guarantee that that thing is not going to break off or those blades get pushed back in their housing and cut you or, you know, I don't know. I've, I've just, maybe it's a slashing, but still, you got to have, you can only cut as hard as the connection is between those little metal fixtures and the leather glove. How tightly riveted are they? That's a good question. One they didn't consider, I'm sure. <laughs> uh yeah, they need to be built into him like Wolverine, right into his body. Right. That would have made more sense. But FX wouldn't be able to pull that off back then. And it would have been copyright infringement. That's true. <laughs> uh, the boiler room in the movie was an actual boiler room in the basement of a jail. The scenes where Freddy attacks his victims in a boiler room were shot in an actual boiler room in the basement of the Lincoln Heights Jail in Los Angeles. Soon after shooting ended, the building was condemned because of asbestos. And they were shooting down there. It's, and plus, it's, you know, jails freak me out. I already told you about my claustrophobia. Jail is one of the scariest things I can imagine. And filming in a scary boiler room under a scary jail with scary chemicals in the walls. That's just the, the trifecta of terror. Yeah. It probably wasn't fun to film down there. Uh Oh, here's a good one. It took a Nightmare on Elm Street's makeup artist three hours each day to apply and take off Robert England's makeup. It consisted of 11 separate pieces applied to England's face and upper chest. Wow. You know what? It just reminded me of one of the worst <laughs> the worst parts of this movie is when, when Nancy reaches up and grabs Freddy's face and just comes off. <laughs> I actually laughed when I saw it. it. I'm like, oh my gosh. I know. I know. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> The sticky substance that keeps her from running up the stairs away from Freddy was, in fact, a mixture of oatmeal and pancake batter. Huh. Like I said, I've had that dream where my I'm trying to run upstairs. Or I've had dreams, too. Like, oh, we'll get to that later. But anyway, yeah, that was I did like that effect. I did like that, that scene. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's see here. We got the movie that Nancy watches to, or, to try to stay awake is Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. Craven added the nod to Raimi because Raimi had previously included a poster of Craven's second film, The Hills Have Eyes, in a set in a scene that was in The Evil Dead. Raimi eventually returned the favor by hiding Freddy's knife glove in a scene in a tool shed in Evil Dead 2. Oh, hey. 
All right, uh, got another one here. New Line Cinema was saved from bankruptcy by the success of this film and was jokingly nicknamed The House That Freddie Built. I've heard that. Yep, that, that, that this movie, like I said, this movie was a huge success in terms of, you know, you did, uh, what, $70 million profit. I'm sorry, $20 million profit uh, in 1984. That's a big success. That definitely could save a studio. I was going to say, New Line Cinema was a big deal through the 90s and early 2000s. And so, it definitely, if this movie hadn't saved them, maybe not have a lot of those movies. Maybe none of the, none of the studios had picked it up. Right. Uh, my last one here is uh, that you've seen the movie Scream, right? Yes. Okay, so there's a scene in it when the the principal comes out and uh, the janitor looks up. Oh, not not talking to you, Fred. And he calls him Fred, and then you see he's wearing a gray, red and green uh, shirt, and he's got a hat on. That's <laughs> like Freddy yeah. Krueger. Looks nothing like him, but it's just <laughs> it's a nice little homage. And this Wes Craven did Scream as well, right? Uh, Scream, much scarier movie than Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, Scream had it was it was a good movie. It wasn't a yeah. great movie, but it was a very good movie for being what it was. It didn't take itself right. too seriously, and it was a, a solid horror movie. I enjoy Scream. The sequels, not as much, but the right. first one was great. First time I saw it. Well, there's some good facts here. I've got two more final questions that we haven't already talked about. I could have had a hundred final questions because you could pick apart so many different plot points, but this is the one that I think is criminal, and I don't know. Have you seen all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? Yes. Okay, there may be an answer to this question then, but I'm not sure. How does a child murderer, just because he was killed, get all these powers that he had? I have no idea. And okay. Because what they had done was they trapped him in the boiler room, and they set, or, or no, not the boiler room, they, they uh, trapped him in that building and set it on fire. He was already in there, and... They sat it, sat there and watched it burn, and some sort of spiritual so what, what, things going on then, there. <laughs> yeah. So what happens then that he can infiltrate people's dreams? Why does it wait? Does he take a generation to do it? You know, he doesn't come after the people that burned him in their dreams. He comes after their kids later on. Which okay, if he's a child murderer, then I see go after the kids. But why not go after him when they're little kids? I don't know, dude. I don't understand. I don't understand where he got his powers from. I, that that is just a mystery to me, a mystery to everybody. That one doesn't right. doesn't get answered. Is he I don't just think. a demon? He must be. He must be a demon of some sort. Because you could almost let's just brainstorm it, Terry. We're smart men. Let's figure out an answer to this question. Let's try to figure out what. How does it, if 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 we go with the demon route, then we have to suppose then that the human being. Fred Krueger was then demon possessed, right? Yeah. That would be a good way to jump it off. If we're going to fix this plot hole, how do we do it? Yeah, you got to say there's got to be some sort of demonic thing going on and have some sort of, I don't even know how to put it because it doesn't make sense. Like in Child's Play, even they have a guy, he transfers his spirit over to a doll. There's right. How does he transfer his spirit into his 
to being an, something that only shows up in kids' nightmares. All right. Well, let's 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 set the the, the groundwork for it. Then we'll say that. Uh, and this is accepted in movie theater and movie tropes of demon possession. Obviously, famous through The Exorcist, other movies where people are possessed by a demon. Um, it's a it's accepted in religious teaching that somebody could be possessed by a devil. Uh, so if he's demon possessed and then he's killed, that demon would then be forced out of that body and forced, you know, back into the spirit world. Um, but then could, you could say that the fear of what he was in the community, Fred Krueger, the fear that he was allowed to become the monster that he was would grow. And so the, the fear would grow and then give that demon power again. And he comes back and, you know, these parents who, uh, maybe have made, I don't think they were wrong and, in killing a child murderer, but maybe the way they did it offended some kind of uh, balance of mm-hmm. morality in this universe. Yeah, and so that's why it was the, it opened their families up because there's all the other people in El in whatever city this is. It just seemed like the people who who knew Nancy, her parents were directly involved in the uh, the burning of Freddie. So yeah, I don't know, there's that's that's an idea. Well, they burned them. Yeah, when they were adults already, because of him killing children, right? So, like Nancy was already alive when it happened. If the way she explained it makes sense, okay. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> when we go to down some weird rabbit hole and we'll talk. All right, about I was just—I wanted to see if we could give it a shot. I thought it'd be a fun exercise. Yeah. Here's my final final question, Terry. Have you ever had a memorable or recurring nightmare? I've had the I had the falling one a lot when I was a kid. That one was one of my most common ones where it'll jolt me and wake me up. I had one where I looked up and we had a uh, a throw blanket like it was knitted and it had dogs on it. Well, I was laying on the couch and I thought my eyes were open, and I saw the blanket, and I thought it was crawling towards me. And then I, like, shook, and I realized it wasn't. And I actually had... This one's real dark, but I had one where uh, your mom had actually died. Your mom. And I don't know why I had that dream, but I remember nobody in in my dream seemed upset at all, and I was, like, freaking out. That was that was terrifying to me. That was one where I woke up in tears because I was it freaked me out so much, and I was probably a teenager at the time. Wow! And it was of all people, your mom, and I don't understand why it was her at all. And to this day, I didn't make any sense why it wasn't like my mom or my dad or someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's. I've had. uh, I've had. I've never. The only dream I can remember I've had where a nightmare where somebody died was I had a nightmare that my dad died one time. And I don't remember it actually. Had, I just remember my mom come up to tell me that he died. And I remember just being like, no, 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 and all that. So that was the only one I remember like that. But my other nightmares I had, I told you I had the nightmare of not being able to run mm-hmm. uh, and not being able to run upstairs. Uh, I had one weird one, one of the most scared I woke up. I don't know what it was, but I was just in this like – it wasn't even like a, a real like physical place, 
but there's stuff that was whipping all around me. And I just remember having this sense of dread and anxiety when I woke up and I couldn't explain what it was that was happening, but it was horrifying. But the one nightmare I remember more, and it wasn't a recurring nightmare. It happened once. I don't think it was a recurring nightmare. Maybe it was, and that's why I remember it. But anyway, do you remember Grandma and Grandpa Robertson's hallway in their house in Morton? Of course. So you're coming in from the living room, and you've got just to the side, you've got the kitchen door. Then just ahead of that, you've got on the left, you've got one bedroom, and then the bathroom, and then the two bedrooms down at the end of the hall. Yep. But it was just a wall at the end of the hallway. Yep. And they had that old 70s dark you know, wood paneling on there. Mm-hmm. And at night, if they just had that hall light on, it just gave it a weird look. And I had a nightmare of something was chasing me. And I went down that hallway and was just, I was near death. Whatever it was was about to kill me. And your mom was in that right-hand side room, Mm -hmm. which was the guest room back there at the end of the hallway. Mm -hmm. And she came out, and for a second I thought I was saved, but then she had like werewolf fangs. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my gosh. So, And then I I don't remember what happens after that. But I I remember being terrified. Terrifying. I remember being about four years old at that house and walking to the top of the stairs to the basement. And the lights were off in the basement. I looked down there, and in my mind, I saw two red eyes looking back at me, and I ran off <laughs> screaming. <laughs> what was it about that house then, Terry? I don't know. The house that Frank built. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was it. So that was uh, that was my last final question. Did you have anything else to add about Nightmare on Elm Street? No, this movie sucks. <laughs> it's not great. It's really not great. And I was disappointed because I remember liking it and watching it this time. I'm like, this is really just not a good movie. Yeah, when I started getting critical of it, that's when I realized, wow, this is really bad. And yeah. like, I get critical of Halloween, and yeah, I'm obviously going to be able to poke holes in it, but it's it's much more well done than this one. Yeah, this one was not well done. Well, tonight we decided to do a Rushmore of horror movie deaths. Yes. Now, I looked at this as, I kind of, because I was like, there's so many. Yeah. Obviously. Too many to count. I thought of the ones that, for whatever reason, jumped out in my mind as being, I would not want to die like that. That's not how I want to go. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to die like any of these ways either that I have, but I just went with ones I liked. Okay. Not necessarily the most gruesome or the most wild ones, just the ones I liked. Okay, so we're having a little bit of an approach to it, which makes it more interesting because I think we get a more varied... I don't think I'm having any of the same as you except maybe one. Maybe one. Okay, well, let's go with yours first then. You start us off, Terry. I'm not going to go with that one. I'm going to hold off on it, and I'm going to skip ahead to my next one. And that's from Halloween, the original, because, like okay. I said, that was a to me a great horror movie and bob sims was the character and michael finds him in the kitchen and stabs him through the chest with a big butcher knife and stab him so hard that it goes through his chest and into the wall and then michael slowly just lets go of the knife and bob's just hanging there only by the knife through the chest it's an it's an iconic kill from Michael Myers, it's one of his most well-known ones. The way he did that one, and is actually revisited in other movies. Okay, later, way later. And I've seen that in lots of other movies too, where somebody's 
impaled by something and they are stuck to the wall like that. Yeah, I think that's where it started. Okay. So I picked it for its iconic reasons. Uh, we briefly talked about my first one. This is not in any kind of order. They're, these are not ranked for me. But uh, Glenn's death in Nightmare on Elm Street, simply because it combines the idea of dying uh, it, it, it bless the the thought of being dragged down into your grave to be killed there, and the claustrophobia of it being folded up like that, and uh, I just that just sends chills down my spine. But also too, because like the the symbolism of it is, you know, everybody feels safe in their bed. Yeah, you know, so like your your bed is if you hide under your bed when there's monsters, you know, or or you're, you're scared. Uh, you get underneath your covers and you feel like you're, you know, you might as well be in a a walled fortress. And to have your bed itself drag you down into the depths to be destroyed, that kind of hit a different kind of level two for me. So, yeah, Glenn's uh, extremely unrealistic blood loss, but horrifyingly claustrophobic demise is on my Mount Rushmore. That's a good one. Uh, I mean, <laughs> who would want to die that way? I mean, jeez. <laughs> There's so many ways I wouldn't want to die. But uh, All right, my next one I have are both the deaths in the, in the movie The Ring by the character Samara. Have you ever seen The Ring? Oh, yeah. All right, so at the beginning of the movie, you got the two girls uh, talking, just whatever, back and forth, and... She tells her that she's seen the movie, this movie that uh, that if you watch it in seven days, you die. And then you find out that she really did watch it seven days ago. <laughs> and all this weird stuff starts happening. And then the friend uh, is looking around the house for this girl now. And when she finally finds her, her face is just like this weird, like, yeah. scared to death, like look that you just can't even explain and then it, yep. it comes around all the way to the end of the movie where you think everything is resolved but you forgot that someone else had watched that movie when trying to f- help her fix everything yeah so she goes over to his house and turns him around and he looks like that again and it's freaky i just that's one i remember and it's stuck in my head because it just Oh, it's nuts. And that character, when at the end, when she slowly crawls out of the screen, and she's just like, boom, she's just right there instantly. Just <laughs> Yeah. That made me jump back a little in my seat, because I remember watching that movie. That was another one I watched by myself, in the dark. And I swear to God, first time that Naomi Watts' character watched the tape, our stinking phone rang in the other room, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I'm, not a- awesome. I'm not answering that thing. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, so That's a good choice, Terry. That's a good choice. All right, next up for me. The character's name is Josh, and the movie is Hostel. How does he die in that again? Does he get tortured? Ho- yes, it's well, he's tortured. He, he's drugged, and then the, the whole... Tone of the movie changes, and you start, and then you're his perspective. He comes to, he's hooded, and some creepy guys walk around, and you, he doesn't know what's happening. And the creepiest part of it for me at all is he starts freaking out, obviously, and he's going, you know, what, what, you know, what, the, what's going on? You know, he's obviously, he's, it's, you know, 
explicit language, but he's like, and the guy never says a word to him, never says a word to him, but then picks up a power drill. Mm, yeah. And then the movie, the camera cuts away and all you do is hear this kid screaming and it cuts back in and he's sitting there and he's, he's obviously he's puked all over himself. Uh, he's sweating. He's shaking. He's foaming at the mouth. And you look back, and he's just been had holes drilled into his shoulders, his legs, his chest. And I just can't imagine being, you know, restrained in a chair and just having somebody drill holes in you. Yeah. And then to make matters worse, he starts begging for his life, obviously. And the guy is like, you know, says, okay, I'll let you go. But then he, the guy's, his hands and feet are bound. And the killer walks behind him, kneels down, and slices his Achilles tendons. Both of them. Oh, God. Then lets him up out of the chair, and he stands up and just falls forward as, obviously, his his legs separate from his feet. And then to top it all off, he has his throat slit. Gosh. And I'm thinking, jeez. Oh, my gosh. This is horrific from start to finish. Pass. <laughs> the idea of being strapped down like that and being tortured is just, I can't imagine. No way. <laughs> and the fact that he never said a word to him. It wasn't like, you know, he just starts drilling, <laughs> you know, and the helplessness he must have felt in that moment. That was just disturbing. That was very, very disturbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I'll pass. All right. My next up for this Rushmore is the sleeping bag kill. From Friday the 13th, Part 7. Jason pulls a girl in her sleeping bag out of a tent and swings her into a tree. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) To kill her. I picked that one because hilarious. (laughs) What a way to go. (laughs) Well, it's efficient. (laughs) We're running out of ideas here, so we'll just go ahead and pick her up and swing her into the tree. Because we know Jason's not smart. All he's going to do is just go straight killing. He's right. not calculating. <laughs> She's like, eh, this will work. <laughs> Thud. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, you get points for efficiency, but not really a whole lot of points for artistry. No. <laughs> but I picked it because it's memorable and it's so dumb. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, my third one is uh, from a movie that has probably done more emotional damage to me than any other movie I've ever seen which is Jaws, and it's the first girl out there swimming alone at night when she gets hit by the shark, and the amount of terror that must have been, you know, for one thing, you know, all of a sudden she's out there swimming, and you see her, just all of a sudden something hits her, and you can tell, and the fear, you can see it immediately set in on her. And then is it just that she's helpless, completely helpless, as this monster underneath the dark water just starts to eat her while she's still alive. Yeah. Oh, that was... That's messed up. It was a great horror movie from the 70s, for sure. Oh, yeah. Jaws still stands up, except for, obviously, you know, the shark. But that was well-documented. They had problems with that anyway, which is why it's in the movie so little. But the the tension building that happens in Jaws is second to none. Oh, yeah. They did that very well. Dun-dun. (laughs) Dun-dun. Probably the most... That's got to be the most recognizable horror uh, it might score. Be. I mean, Exorcist obviously has got is well known, but it's not as repeated as Jaws. The theme from Halloween, man, is also another one. 
Yeah. I hear that a lot, and then it's great. All right, so Terry, what's what's your last one on your Rushmore? This is one I thought maybe we shared, but so far we haven't. And that's the reverse bear trap from Saw. The final chapter. Okay. I will say, I don't have that one, but I do have Saw, a, a, a Saw death. I picked, up, picked this one because it's the most iconic one from the Saw series. Uh, there's lots of very, very inventive ways that people die in all those movies. But the reverse bear trap works as you have this big helmet-like thing, and, they're, and the bear trap is uh, basically inside the person's mouth, and they're biting on it. It's all the way into their mouth. And they have so much time to unlock it so they can get the device off of them. Well, in the first movie, we don't get to see it in action because the girl uh, managed to to go through some guy's intestines and finds the key and gets herself out of it with like two seconds to spare. But they brought it back again for Saw 6 for Detective Hoffman, who ended up being the new Saw for the later movies. And he ends up doing something such a way where it, it locks, but it still like tears off a good chunk of his skin and his jaw area. And so two times now they it's been escaped from, but in the final chapters, uh, saw seven, it finally does the job. And, and finally they get somebody with it and it just rips their head completely backwards and off and it's just imagining something as strong as a bear trap going the opposite direction pulling your jaw down and the rest of your face up oh man it is a brutal scene and one that is definitely to be remembered i don't know that i've ever seen the final chapter of saw the final chapter it's like there's seven movies the original movies then there's the jigsaw movie and then spiral which i won't get into those but the first two were pretty decent, pretty interesting, good storytelling. Three, four, five, and six, that you can, they're they're fine. There's nothing exciting, too great about them. But seven actually did a pretty good job, and it was a pretty good movie. Okay. Well, like I said, my final Rushmore um, is a is in the Saw universe, and it's from the first one, and it's Carrie Elwes, who who uh, has to cut off his own foot. Only to crawl out into the hallway where Jigsaw's at and presumably waiting to kill him anyway. No. He cuts his foot off. That's true. Yeah. Jigsaw's on the floor with him in that room the entire time. I know. That's what I'm saying. But he follows him out then. This is why you need to see episode seven, the seventh one. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) He ain't dead. Well, that just throw my whole thing out of the water then. But it is pretty great because uh, that same scene, he he sacrifices himself, gets out of the room, and leaves. And then all of a sudden, Jigsaw stands up, and that photographer kid sitting there, uh, also chained up but to the bathtub. And he's wanting to shoot Jigsaw before he can. Jigsaw electrocutes him with this little buzzer thing in his hand. And... He walks out of the room. Jigsaw walks out of the room and says, game over, closes the door, and that guy just sits in there and starves to death and dies. Huh. That's another brutal way to go, just being chained up in a dark room 
waiting to die. I just can't imagine having to cut your own foot off. That would be pretty intense, and to do it with a handsaw like that is pretty impressive. A little right. hacksaw. Yeah, so that was that was mine. <laughs> All right, Terry, remind. Well, let, yeah, I guess we might as well. Let's remind uh, mine. My Rushmore for horror movie deaths was uh, Glenn from from Nightmare on Elm Street being sucked down into his bed and turned into a uh, a protein shake. Uh, Josh from Hostel, who got drilled and had his Achilles sliced. The woman swimming alone at night who was eaten by Jaws, and then I guess it's not technically a death. So pretty gruesome. Pretty gruesome uh, because I didn't watch the rest of the series. Was Carrie Elwes's character and Saw who had to cut off his old foot? I think they're streaming on something, maybe on Peacock or something. I've seen them somewhere. Yeah, uh, mine was a reverse bear trap from Saw, uh, Bob Sims and Halloween, uh, Samara from The Ring, and the sleeping bag kill from Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. All right, well, this went to a dark place a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But it's horror movies. It's the, the the thrill of horror movies is it gives you that adrenaline rush of facing these things without having to put yourself in any mortal danger. Yep. And it's the triumph of life surviving over death that makes the thrill of horror movies that much more fun. Yeah. And we talked about this beforehand, what we were going to do, that we're both going to take a turn doing some horror movie. And I thought about it, I'm like, we're going to cover a lot of ground with Nightmare on Elm Street. Do I want to sit here and go into Friday the 13th? Do I want to go into Halloween? Do I want to pick up just another random horror movie and basically do the same podcast over again? And I was like, hmm, I wonder if we can do another kind of Halloween-themed thing. So for next week, we are going to have a special guest, my wife, and we are going to talk about all things... Adam's family. Oh, We're okay. going to review the actual movie from the early 90s for our review, but we'll ha- leave it open to the TV show all the way up to the new animated movies. You can We can talk about whatever, but the main review will be the Adam's family movie. And it'll be a much more fun, lighthearted version of Halloween as opposed to what we did this week. Now... The, the original Adams Family, not the one that Rob Zombie just did, right? No. No, that's Monsters. Oh, yeah, you're right. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. I got so, you. So, yeah, we're talking uh, Raul Julia, uh, Angelica Houston, Christina Ricci, Christopher Lloyd. Okay. And whoever played the little boy. Yeah, and whoever played the little uh, Pugsley. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's streaming on Paramount. And Okay. Yeah. I thought we'd uh, lighten it up a little bit after having what we just talked about. Well, yeah, because you are you're gonna you're gonna step on a lot of your own. Uh, you, you're covering you're. I'm trying to say I don't know what I'm trying to say. You're, you're you're covering the same ground if you go into just another traditional slasher flick. Yeah, so this one will be fun, and I think uh, I'd like to get to the origin of the Adams family and stuff like that. I've the kiddo loves it. I I could have just as easily brought her on here, but Sarah has loved Adams family forever, so. Okay, sounds good. Sarah's got to get on now so she can make sure she stays ahead of Zach in her number of appearances, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, that makes sense. All right, well, Terry, anything else to add tonight? Adam's family next week? Uh, nope. 
All right, we want to thank all of our listeners for hanging out with us. We hope that you enjoy it as much as we do. For Retro Review with Rob and Terry, I am Rob. And this is Terry. God bless you and good night.